Well, we're excited to be here. Uh, my name is Chris. Uh, as Lane said, this is my lovely wife, Katie. We've been married 29 years, going on 30 um, next summer. Um, we have uh, eight children. I think we have a picture up there. Um, the only one missing is our daughter, who just got married on Sunday, and they're actually still on their honeymoon. But we have uh, those kiddos, and then four grandbabies. There's only three in the picture because one was birthed two weeks ago. Uh, on 7-7, seven, seven. yeah, we can remember that, July 7th. I'm so glad it's a number that I can remember, you know, 7-7. Right. Seven, seven. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's our family, and yeah, I'll start with my part of the story. I actually grew up in Southern California, and I had a mom and a dad and a sister who's five years younger than me, and we were, I would say, a very typical kind of Christian home. We would just go to church on Sundays and Wednesday nights. And that was pretty much the extent of it. We'd pray before meals, but there was really no um, talking about anything spiritual or about life or, or challenges or things like that. It was just kind of assumed to be moral, which is what I did. I was very much uh, a people pleaser. I don't like conflict very much. And so that was the best way for me to not get in trouble is just to be a good kid. Um, in my own life, though, personally, I, I really, I didn't read my Bible. I didn't pray um, unless I really wanted something. So it wasn't that real of a relationship. When, when I was nine years old, um, I was at this little vacation Bible school thing, and a lady explained God's love for me and how Jesus came to die for me, and I, I totally knew all that and understood it. So I prayed with her. So it was a genuine prayer. I knew that I needed to be rescued and forgiven from my sins, and that God provided that, but then I didn't have any real thing to do after that. And going on into like junior high, again, my dad didn't really take the initiative to talk to me about much of anything, especially girls. Um, I, like most young guys at that age, this is in the early 80s, um, pornography was a temptation, although it wasn't super accessible like it is today. You had to go like go looking for it. Um, but it was still a struggle, but my dad didn't say anything about how you deal with that. And I guess in my mind, I was like, well, I guess either he doesn't struggle or doesn't know about this. I don't know. But either way, I didn't get any guidance. And then as I got into high school, I kind of liked girls, and we did the going steady thing that would last weeks, maybe months, um, kind of the way the typical thing, it wasn't too deep. I did date two girls, one for six months, but then one for two years, my 11th and 12th grade year, which is like forever in, you know, high school years. Uh, we even talked about marriage. Uh, and I can, looking back, I can see now, especially in that relationship, that was really the only thing I had to compare to before Katie and I got married on... Um, conflict resolution, and mine was super immature. I'm very emotional, very sensitive, and it was just basically we have a fight about whatever, and then um, I would get my feelings hurt, and I would just kind of pout. That sounds so lame to say, but if I'm honest, I just would pout and don't want to talk, and then we'd have to eventually, you know, make up or whatever, and then eventually we broke up. So that was my story of my, my life going into college, and after my freshman year in college, I'm sorry, after, after my senior year in high school, I went to a camp, and it was a game changer for me, because it was all for, if you've just kind of grown up in the church and have all this head knowledge, but don't know your purpose, or how to read your Bible even, don't have any convictions about, don't know what you believe or why, or standards for, for marriage, and so... It changed my life. I really got serious about that. And my freshman year struggled to really grow because I was still in this stagnant environment with all my friends. Um, but then I decided I want to go back to that camp and work. So after my freshman year of 
college, I went to go work at this camp in Northern California, and Katie came out there, and she'll tell her part two, but she came out there to work, and I'd really prayed kind of for blinders going on um, into that summer, like I just don't want to be distracted by girls, and then I met Katie and was distracted a little bit. So this is us that summer of 1990. I don't know if you can tell, that is a mullet that is apparently cool again, um, we didn't call it a mullet, we just called it cool at the time, but that was, uh, that's us at camp a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, anyways, that really uh, was not just an awesome experience of me learning how to kind of pour into young people, but I really, as I got to know Katie, realized like she's really what I would love to find in a wife. And so, long story short, we had a talk, and I ended up transferring to Auburn, Alabama, which is where she was from. She had this little southern accent that was really cute, and, and all of us California guys were like, like my name had two syllables, Krias, instead of Chris. But anyways, that was the story kind of going into college. And I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you this before Katie does um, kind of her part. The cool thing for me was I got out of this stagnant environment where it was just kind of blah in my faith. And I got around Katie's dad, who he came to faith when he was almost 40 years old. And for the first time in my life, I saw this man who was honest about his flaws and his struggles and would confess things and just was just real. And I went, okay, that's what I want. I can't keep doing this game where we're just acting like we're all perfect and we're good when I've got my own struggles and it was just such a cool thing for me to basically be, be discipled by my future father-in-law um, during that time. And so God getting me out of where I was and around Katie's dad in a really awesome church um, just changed the trajectory of everything from that point on. Um, and that was going on in our dating years. But I'll get back around to that in a minute. So for me, um, I grew up, like, like he said, in Alabama, and I guess Texas is the Bible Belt too, but in uh, Alabama, everybody kind of just goes to church and, you know, you're the good old boys, and, uh, you know, if you want to make a good name for yourself in your small town, you're going to be seen at church on Sunday, but especially on Christmas and Easter, because you got to wear your new dress, and, um, but I grew up being good and thinking good was good enough and that I could be pretty good. I was a pretty moral person. Um, and so, but just realizing um, that, my, that what I had was more of a religion. It wasn't a relationship with the Savior. And my life, my life was, I kind of, I mean, I think it was me struggling to be good or to do good things and to put my own life together, thinking I could do it. Um, I'm pretty stubborn and strong-willed and um, prideful and um, just thinking, hey, I got this, you know, and I'm here, I got my own life, and God, here I go, you can bless me if you want, you know, and I'll look to you, um, you know, when I need you, but I pretty much got it, you know, very selfish, very self-centered, very self-absorbed, um, and uh, it wasn't, like, he mentioned my dad, and I think um, for us, just the blessing that um, 
my parents' struggle was, I feel like I'm a product of, out of their struggle because how God uses, I just think of when God looks around and he's got trying to accomplish his plans and his will, which he will do, all he has to work with is messes and, and sinners like us. And so um, he's so good where he uses all that. Um, and so my parents' marriage had struggled. And my dad became a believer at age 40. And I was pretty set in our religious, our religion. You know, it was an empty religion. It was a, it was a buffet style. I'll live it like I want. And hey, I love God. Sure, I love God. And yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, whatever that means. Because you know, I'm a good girl. But when my dad became, he came to a knowledge of, of God and faith in Jesus Christ, and it was a true relationship with, a, with, his, with Jesus, it rocked my dad's world. It changed him, and he was different. Um, he was a new man. I got, my, I got a new dad when that happened. And, um, and at first, though, you guys, I was mad about that. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. Your dad, you're going overboard. I mean, I'll do Jesus on Sundays, but, like, let's don't talk about it every day. I'm like, you're a little too cray-cray for me. You know, like, you're going crazy on me. Um, and, and, and then, too, he changed some rules. And I thought, that just seemed like rules. And he was started reading God's Word, and, and his marriage was changing. His relationship with my mom was changing, and it impacted us. Um, I was the last child in the family to become a believer um, because I really did believe I already had it. I'm like, I got this. You know, I went to my church. I went through um, our uh, confirmation class, and I just went to that thing because I had a crush on a guy, you know, and I just, I remember, you know, that's the only reason I really went, but I thought that that was what it was, but um, I will never forget the day I, I truly did realize um, how much God loved me. And how much my good deeds could not, be, could not be, were not the thing that was going to make me um, earn a place in heaven. That there was nothing I could do. My righteousness was as dirty rags, as nothing compared to what the requirement for heaven is, which was a perfect life. And realizing that I was a sinner in need of a Savior who had lived a perfect life and was willing to lay down that perfect life. On behalf of me, and I finally realized that I I needed I needed a savior, and um, and that was a lot of my pride thinking I didn't because um because I thought I could be good on my own, and even in my pride I wanted to be good I wanted to do good things I wanted God to be proud of me like you know good job Katie and it's like I finally realized that it wasn't good things that made God love me. Um, that I couldn't do more and more good things and he would love me more and that there was nothing I could do that would make me make him love me less. I like to say he just dadgum loved me. <laughs> and that was overwhelming to me when I, when I realized that and decided to choose to just to surrender and to give my life to him. And things like things uh, began to change day by day in my life. And it wasn't just this one-time occurrence of something that happened um, at that point in my life, I was um, about uh, in high school at that point, but it was something that was going to continue to change my life for the rest of my life. And um, 
part of that was my desire for what I wanted in a mate. And my dad began to even, because of his experiences, began to try to help me and become more involved in his children's life because he wanted, he wanted better for his children than he had experienced for himself. But it was out of the struggles that that beautiful um, effort and the beauty came, you know, um, because God is just something else at making um, struggles and sorrows and heartaches um, beautiful and useful to change us and to teach us. And so when I met Chris at that camp that summer, he really was more than I could ever. Um, he was my dream come true. And um, so you wrote the word handsome. I said he yeah. was a handsome teenager. From California, right. He was, and all the other girls thought he was handsome too, but I wasn't going to chase him like they were. I was like, he's going to have to notice me. Um, But I think my parents, they did think I was crazy when I came back to Alabama, and I told them that this guy from California, I didn't mention the mullet and the earring, uh, but I just said, this guy from California is going to come, and I didn't mention that he's going to ride his motorcycle. That, that's just, there's just a stereotype that goes with that from, with people from Alabama. <laughs> just like there's a stereotype of people from Alabama. But anyway, um, so, but um, yeah. that's how we met. I mean, we met at the camp, and then yeah. from then. Uh, well, we dated for two years. During that time, I did ask her dad if I could marry her. I actually asked him three times. And it wasn't until the third time that he said yes. Right. And at the time, we were like, what? I mean, in my mind, I'm like, why? We're, we're in love. You know, that was kind of my thought. But I really had no plan on, on when am I going to graduate? How am I going to provide for this woman? And so now having two daughters, I'm like, well, of course he said no. Um, but at the time, we were like, but come on. So anyways, we, um, as we got closer to graduating, I, I asked him a third time, and he said yes. And it was never no, never, but it was, you need to continue to grow and mature and stuff. So... Um, we got married in June of 1993, and even during our dating years, it, uh, that same pattern that I mentioned you guys about how to relate, we just, and I, I don't know if you guys feel like this, sometimes when people ask us, like, what could you guys, what do you guys even argue about? And we're like, anything, like literally anything can become an argument or a fight, and it's just depending on our moods or that day or how we're, you know, feeling, and that same pattern of, of kind of a blow up and then hurt feelings and um, pouting mainly by me, uh, but just not talking and just kind of going that way was really the way it would work. And I'm very, my love language is words and, um, Katie's isn't, um, words. And so I can, I can really, you know, words can hurt me. And I had to memorize Proverbs twelve sixteen that says, um, that a, a prudent man overlooks an insult that I just had to kind of get used to that. And, Still struggle, but the, the game changer for me, really after probably 20 years of just this cycle of feeling like, are we ever going to get out of this where we're still just bickering over petty things? Um, I read a book called The, um, Seek, the Secret of Self-Forgetfulness. Um, sorry, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. It is an awesome book, and he basically just unpacks 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, where Paul just says, to these Corinthians that he loves, he says, I'm, it doesn't matter what you or any human court thinks about me. I don't, I don't care what you think about me. 
Um, it's the Lord who judges me. And he even says, I don't even judge myself. It's what God says about me. And it was just something that resonated so much in my heart where I realized I am allowing everyone in my life, not just my wife, but my kids and my job and things like that, to kind of affirm me and make me feel like I'm on trial and I got a, good ver- I got a verdict from you that I was good. And when I read that book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, I realized that's been my problem. That I'm allowing Katie's opinion of me or other people's opinion of me or whatever, and not even really remembering what God says about me, that because of his son Jesus, he sees me as righteous. I'm not trying to earn anything. It's all because of what Jesus did. It freed me in such a huge way where I began to learn, and this is for sure not perfected at all, I began to learn that no matter how Katie reacts or responds or what she says to me, I'm not going to laugh. That doesn't change my identity. It doesn't change what God thinks about me. I'm just going to continue to go on. And once I got my identity right, it affected everything else. And so I would say, and I think she would say that she noticed that I began to change. Right. I totally noticed a difference. And not that I was trying to test it, but um, a lot of times, um, just for me, my, I can be... It's a lifelong prayer to have words of kindness instead of um, and and being um, gentle and having words that are that encourage and lift up others um, because I can be harsh with my words and even if I'm not sensitive to them I need to be sensitive to the most sensitive spirit and it's um, up to me um, to to do that and I really did notice the difference that I wasn't. I wasn't able to ruffle his feathers because his confidence came from from what God said about him, which is the truth, um, no matter what my day is. Because a woman can be emotional and feel something and then just want to say something. And so my lifelong battle and struggle has been to try to have self-control and be full let the Spirit of God continue to change me and mold me and so that I could be filled with God's goodness, which is love and kindness and gentleness and self-control and patience, and um, let that flow out of me. And that definitely um, helps our relationship. But also, my, um, just in my battle... Um, when we first were married, too, I thought Chris was there to help me. I think I believed the lie that um, he was gonna, he was my dream come true, and that he was supposed to make me happy. And again, my um, my battle was with myself, with me being self-centered, and even learning more about what God's beautiful design is for me to be the helper and um, to just to come along, Chris, and to be a help help me to to him. And so many times at the end of the day, it was more like, I was like, I sure enough know what you can do for me. I was never like, oh, how can I help you? Um, I always had my list ready. Um, and um, for me to just to learn what it means to be a servant and what it means in Philippians where it says to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but into, in humility to consider others better than yourself. And so for me to grow in godliness, for God to continue to change my life, to try to get rid of just my selfishness and my self-centeredness, to think of others ahead of myself. And I love how great God is, y'all, because he knows how stubborn this girl is. Um, I heard it from my parents when I was little, but not only is marriage such a good, good tool for that, 
You saw those kids. And people go, oh, you must be saying, I was like, uh-uh. It's because God is trying to just work in me to try to say, Katie, you know, there's other people out there ahead of you or that you should be thinking about. And um, God's trying to get me to get um, to think more of others instead of just myself. Yep. So I'd love to say that I've got this down, uh, that I'm no longer uh, self-centered or irritable or easily angered or offended, but uh, it's still a battle. Um, and God, marriage is this wonderful tool to make us um, more into what God wants for us and not ourselves. And I'm learning more and more to be honest with Katie if I get my feelings hurt and, uh, and not to pout. But I'll just tell you guys, this is an unfortunate aside. A year and a half ago, my parents divorced after almost 50 years of marriage. And I really, in my brain, I'm just like, I feel like if they had been in this environment where they were being honest with their hurts, I think it was just years and years of, of just stuffing things and not addressing things and not being honest. And just to go, man, that is crazy that after all of that time, they're, they're, they're walking away from almost 50 years with all their grandkids and, and, and things like that. So just, um, just to encourage you, it was a wake-up call for me to always be vigilant, that I've got to always fight for my marriage. But also to encourage you that um, what you're doing is um, working on your marriage um, uh, actively versus just kind of being passive and sitting back and letting stuff happen, which I just wish, again, that my parents had, had not done that. Um, I was going to share a, a final verse uh, or two that, that came to my mind um, of encouragement. Um, is really just Philippians 1.6. And it says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And in my marriage, what I've learned is the biggest problem in my marriage is me and my self-centeredness. And if I let God work on me, then I can be the husband that I need to be. But if I'm um, just focused on am I happy, then it's not going to help. But I've got to trust God's begun this good work in me, and God is going to continue to work on me. And um, I'll let him work on Katie and not, not feel like I've got to also change her. And I think what I've realized, too, just through our marriage, again, God's goodness, because if I look, if I, sometimes I, I have to back up and look at the big picture, and just like, what is my purpose anyway? Why am I even here in this world? And, and as a believer in Christ, and once I became a Christian, I just realized that God's purpose and plan for me is to conform me into the likeness of Christ. And so the um, relationship of marriage and, the, and just the gift of motherhood, God's given me those things, and those are part of um, his tools to change me. And for me, to, for me, I'm just, is, is just to relinquish and to, and to surrender and say, you know, those aren't things that are getting in my way. Those are stepping stones to me changing and to me, you know, God trying to, like, get my attention. And, again, I have to focus on just, like, okay, between me and the Lord, like, what, you know, God, what is it you're trying to do with me? And my stubborn, stubborn self, I mean, it's like it's so hard to get through to my heart. And so a continual prayer for me is, is uh, it said that God would give me a soft heart, a pliable heart, and that he would remove my heart of stone and a lot of times I think of that verse when, you, when I became a Christian, but I need to pray that verse every day, y'all, because my heart just wants to go back hard again. It just wants to go back hard. And when hard things are happening in my life and relationship issues are happening, I just have to ask God to break my heart and to soften my heart and to teach me and to change me. 
And when I get angry about things, I'm so, for so many years, I've wondered, what do I do with my, you know, I used to have such a, a hot temper. And of course, I, it's not like I've gotten over it. I have to control it. I used to bang the pots and pans in the kitchen when, you know, all the time. I don't bang them as often. Um, but when I get upset and angry about things, you know, the real enemy is Satan, and he hates marriage. He hates marriage. He hates my marriage. He hates yours. And for me to realize that the real enemy is never my partner, my team, and my, the enemy is Satan. And he is coming to kill, steal, and destroy. And he does not like you. He does not like me. And that's his goal. And so for me, I love to use my temper, my anger to say, uh-uh, to hell with you, Satan, to try to steal, kill, and destroy this beautiful union that you have ordained and you planned um, I'm not going to let it happen. Like, and if this is going to be hard, I'm not going to let it be wasted either. God, change me. Change me and use, you know, the difficult things that we're going through. So, um, and just encouraging you guys, love is long-suffering. It means two people are going to suffer a long time together. <laughs> and um, I, an older gentleman told me that long ago, and I was like, okay. Take note, take note. And it's like, okay, I see, you know. And, um, but my biggest hope in marriage is knowing that God is the perfect, um, or, he perfectly orchestrated our union, and he's going to fulfill his plans and purposes. And that I have to believe the scripture that it says the truth that God is good, and it says that God is sovereign. That means God is in control. Katie Sherrod is not in control, and that's a good thing. I want to be in control all the time. But I have to trust the God of the universe, the God who is my creator, and he is good, and he is perfect in all he does. And so for me, I just that's where I'm going to find my rest. Rest is not found in the absence of problems, but in the presence of God. And so just remembering that my God is good, my God is in control, and just also just going back to the scripture that he loves me, he cares for you. And um, he's going to fulfill his purposes and plans. When I feel like you can't and you can't do this, and I feel like giving up, I do feel like all the time, and I can't do this. And I can't. It's the truth. But when I get to the end myself and realize that there is nothing in me that can do this, there is nothing in me that can fix any problems, but God can, that I have to rest and trust and just, Katie, would you just surrender? Would you just let go and let God do this? Because he's the healer, he's the maker, he's the creator of all things, and he is, the, he is the lover of my soul. And as his love fills me, then I can be a more loving wife and person.